0: Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 3, verse 18 to 4.1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. That wasn't very good. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bob. I used to be on staff here at Faith Church, associate pastor, and. Uh, now I'm an elder, and now I serve our denomination as the pastor for Pastors Jeff, Joey, Tom, and Nathan, and it's a real privilege for me to do that. It's a great honor for me to be asked to come back to the pulpit. I've been out of this pulpit for about 18 months. It's good to be back. Thanks to Joey and Jeff for letting me come and sharing in this really, really great series we've been going through in the book of Colossi. Did you have a good Fourth of July, Independence Day? Was it hot enough for you? Uh, we had a great time. Uh, in fact, last night we had a r- repeat of it. We live out in Bromsburg by the racetrack out there. They had the National Hot Rod Association drag strips all this weekend. And uh, last night I started hearing fireworks. And I went out. I was already in bed, and Gene was in bed. Went out, and it was just outside of our house, about a mile away, these unbelievable fireworks. And they stopped. So I went back to bed, and they started again. So I got Gene, and we went back. We went out three times to watch these fireworks. I love fireworks. We went down to the Indianapolis Indians game, baseball game. We hadn't done that before. Well, we had a couple of years ago with our small group, but we took our kids and grandkids with us. I think we're going to make it a family tradition now. Going down there, you watch the ball game, and you watch the fireworks there, and then you get to watch the fireworks going off on the, the big skyscraper there. It was just a, just a great night. The... Uh, It was dedicated to the National Guard, Uh, the, the whole game was, and they had the commandant there throwing out the first pitch, but, you know, I found myself during the game, every now and then, in between the innings, they would put a picture up on the big screen of one of our Indiana National Guardsmen who had given their life for our country. It was kind of a disconnect, eating hot dogs, watching baseball, looking at the lives of these young people who have sacrificed their lives for us really made brought it home to me, uh, what we celebrate on that day on July 4th. Having been in the army 40-some years ago, uh, I look for every opportunity I can to be patriotic. It was a great night. You know, Independence Day is our national holiday when we celebrate when we declared independence from the king, the king of England. Those 13 original colonies got together and uh, they put their life on the line. They were willing to die and many of them did, lost their property, uh, to start this new country and to be independent of the kingly rule of King George. Well, sadly, in the history of our nation, 242 years of celebrating that event, not only have we turned from the kingly rule of England, we've fallen away many times from the kingly rule of Jesus Christ as a country. we love our independence in America. That's kind of the word that we, we hold on to. We love being independent. But sadly, a lot of us Westerners have taken that to the extreme and declared independence from Christ. You know, more and more I see the Western culture we live in moving farther and farther away from the principles of God and his standards for our lives. We really don't want anyone telling us what to do anymore. Uh, that dependent mindset has led to the breakdown of some of the things in our society, such as the devaluing of human life itself in the womb or at the end of life, the devaluing of God's design for marriage between a man and a woman, the devaluing of the belief in absolute values and morality, the devaluing of God's authority in and over our lives. I feel that I look back. I can see most of all humankind's problems traced back to a, us choosing independence from God. Instead of following His standards for our lives, we 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 kick against the goads of authority. We don't like authority. In fact, we reject it in every form we can. But today in Colossians, in our passage Colossians, the Apostle Paul calls us to a different standard. He calls us to be countercultural. For us to build our homes, to build our marriages, to build our families and communities based on God's principles of his authority over our lives and our dependence upon him. You know, for the last seven weeks, we've been studying the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Colossae. And as we've learned already from Jeff and Joey and Tom, Paul's main emphasis in this letter is to the Colossians is their need to understand the supremacy and the gloriousness of Christ. Paul is refuting a heresy that that existed back in their day that, that denied the true humanity and deity of Jesus. As with his other letters, he always starts out with a greeting and then a Theological treatise that he gives, and then somewhere in the letter, he switches to practical application. And that's what we looked at last week with Pastor Tom. We started looking at how we are to practically apply this gloriousness of Christ in our lives and in our families and in our homes. Tom used a construction metaphor. He stole the construction metaphor from me last week, being an old construction engineer of how we're to apply the, the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ in our lives. He used the terms of architecture and excavations and foundations to describe how we are to lay that foundation to build our lives on. That's what we're going to look at now today. How do we start specifically building our lives on that foundation? In chapter 3, verse 18 through four, one. When God created the world, he based his design for humanity on the foundations of marriage and family structures. But sadly, due to our striving need for independence from God and standards, the traditional family is under attack in our society today. And the same must have been true back then for the Colossians because Paul's speaking to them about what it means to be in a marriage and in a family and in a relationship, an employment relationship perhaps, and how we are to live as Christians. So I encourage you to grab your Bible, if you haven't already, turn to Colossians 3, verse 18, get your electronic instruments out, or the Bible in front of you, the black one in the chair in front of you, it's on page 1170. Let's learn from Paul's instructions how to build glorious homes that honor the glorious Christ. Father, as we come to your word this morning, may we be instructed through your spirit, not through me, but through your spirit, on how to build homes that glorify Jesus Christ. We don't know how to do that, Lord. Raising a family is hard work. Being in a marriage is hard work. Uh, Give us insight today from Paul's words and how we can do that, Lord. May we be more than hearers of the word. May we be doers of the word. May you change us these next 30 minutes somehow in the relationships we have within our families, I pray in Christ's name, amen. If you've got an NIV translation or an ESV translation, there's a heading right between verse 17 and 18, Christian, uh, rules for Christian families, something like that, or Christian households. I'm not a big fan of that wording. I'm not a big fan that this is a list of rules for us to follow. Because it gives the impression that we're just to follow these rules, and if we do, then we'll be good enough and be accepted by God. There's always that way of earning God's love, of follow these rules. I I like to look at this passage as an outflowing, rather. These aren't things that we strive to do. These are things that we will do because of Christ working through us. It'll be a result of the glorious Christ living in our hearts. So I believe what Paul's really saying here is that a home will only be as glorious as the Christ who inhabits it. A home will only be as glorious as the Christ who inhabits it. Let's unpack our passage here as we look at his instructions. Paul uses three couplets here. He talks about wives and husbands, he talks about Children and parents, and he talks about servants and masters. So let's unpack these and see how they apply. Now, I know a lot of you in the room aren't married. someday you may be, but hopefully these principles will apply to you too, as as we work with everyone in our relationships with everyone. In couplet number one, Paul, verse one, uh, verse eighteen, Paul gives the first instruction to the wives: wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He's saying that a wife's proper attitude in marriage is one that recognizes that there is a structure of spiritual authority in a Christ-centered marriage. It's a partnership in marriage between a husband and wife, and that partnership is supposed to model the partnership we see within the Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equal but with different roles. Now, in our culture that's becoming more and more anti-authority-based, This is not a popular concept, is it, ladies? In our culture, this idea of a wife submitting to her husband is looked upon as an ancient patriarchal concept that must no longer be followed. We've even seen pushback against this concept of husbands and wives having different roles creep into the modern-day church. It's an issue our denomination is wrestling with. There are are two camps, the one is called egalitarianism, one's called complementarianism. Big words, what do they mean? Egalitarianism, people who believe in that believe that husband and wife are completely equal and there are no roles. That You just work together in partnership. Complementarianism believes that you are equal in a marriage as husband and wife, but there are roles that you fulfill that are complementary to each other. Man is the head, the leader of the home, the wife as the submitter to that headship. It's not very popular today. Let's look at it. Submit means to subject oneself, to bring oneself under the control of the authority of someone else. It was a Greek military term that meant the troops would follow the leader in the field. In the non-military sense, I like it's someone who carries, helps someone carry a burden. I like that. I like thinking of a wife as someone who comes along with her husband and, inside her husband and helps carry the burden of marriage and raising a family. It's in the middle voice in Greek, which means it's voluntary, it's not forced. It comes out of you. It's not forced out of you. And it's in the present tense. It's supposed to be ongoing, not just every now and then, but ongoing. Paul says that doing this is fitting in the Lord. It, it's what the Lord is asking us. It's proper for a Christian marriage. Now this doesn't mean that the wife is a doormat. It doesn't mean that the wife is to submit to an ungodly abusive husband. I would never tell a wife in marital counseling to do that. My wife Jean is an expert on education. She taught in the public schools for 20 years. She understands education much better than I did. Do or did, and so when we came to making decisions for our child's education, I looked to her. I submitted to her knowledge, knowing though as the head I would be held accountable for those decisions. We worked together as a team, so it's not this dictator drill sergeant mentality that I have over my wife. This concept of submission is further explained in Paul's sister passage in Ephesians 5. It's almost the same wording in Ephesians 5 where he says, ladies, the number one thing your husband needs is to know you respect him. Now, I like being told by my wife that she loves me. But out of the blue, if she comes up to me, and she says, I respect you as a man. Man, I just melt because that's what motivates me, ladies, and that's what will motivate your husband, is showing respect. But in Merrill Constantine, I've had wife say to me, yeah, but you're not married to my husband. <laughs> you know, if he'd do something I could respect him for, then maybe I'd respect him. Well, the misunderstanding there is, we always tell husbands, you're to unconditionally love your wife. You're love her unconditionally, but we don't say to women, you're to unconditionally respect your husband. I think that's what Paul's calling us, you ladies to do. When I was in the army, we had a chain of command. I made it to the rank of first lieutenant, but I had a lot of majors and captains and generals above me. And I had to submit to that authority. Now, sometimes I didn't like the person in the role. I didn't respect the person in the role, but I always respected the office. And ladies, I can tell you from personal experience, as I worked with countless number of marriages, that if a woman takes an attitude of submitting to her husband in a godly way and praying for him, I've seen husbands change. They change in response to that. I've been blessed beyond measure in my marriage. Jean loves Jesus, and understand it's her respect that makes me a better husband for her. But wives, let me tell you something. You can't do this on your own. It's it's not just some rule to follow. Rather, it is something that will naturally flow out of your heart if you are being led by the gloriousness of Christ in your life. Now, we must always view Paul's instructions on submission in marriage in the context of what he says to husbands about Love, and he says that in our next verse, in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A husband's duty or role in marriage is to fulfill that role of spiritual leadership through. Love. Paul uses the word agape love. He doesn't use the word phileo, which means friendship love. He doesn't use the word eros, which means intimate sexual love. He he uses the word agape, the word that describes God's love towards me. Unconditional love. Regardless of what I do, God loves me. and That's the kind of love I'm supposed to have towards my wife. It's in the present tense. It's supposed to be ongoing. Sorry, guys, but... Valentine's Day, Sweetheart's Day, and Anniversary don't just cut it. Flowers and chocolates in those three days isn't good enough. It's every day. Loving your wife every day. It's a word that describes a, denotes a caring mindset, a, a deliberate act of the mind that concerns with the interests and well-beings of your wife. In Paul's passage on marriage, he goes, the sister passage, he says, it's the kind of love that Christ showed to us by laying down his life for us. I've had husbands in marital constantly say to me, you don't understand, my, you, you don't live with my wife. I mean, she's a hard woman to, to live with. Well, what have you done? Well, I've done everything I know how to do. Have you died for her yet? I ask. Have you died for her? Are you dying for your wife? Are you laying down your life for your wife? Because that's what Christ calls us as husbands. I think there's a greater responsibility given to husbands. We're to die for our wives. Wives are called to submit. We're called to die for our wives. Be the spiritual leader in the home for them. Paul says our love should never be harsh. A word that means to make bitter, to to embitter the stomach, (laughs) to grieve someone. Sadly, in our marriage, I've done that too often. I've hurt my wife with harsh words. I was talking to an older guy my age after the first service. We talked about how, you know, sadly, as we're becoming older, we're becoming angry old men. We're complaining and griping about everything. And sometimes I do that towards my wife. And God, forgive me when I do that. Guys, I like to use the analogy of a butterfly. If you go out in your backyard this afternoon and you see a butterfly flying around, see if you can have that butterfly land on your hand. You have to hold it pretty still. That butterfly will not land there if that. And it can't be like this. It has to be like this. That butterfly will come and it'll, finally it'll stay there and it'll flap its wings. It's a beautiful sight. But if you go like that, You've just killed the butterfly. Guys, are you crushing your wives through harshness? Or are you, like Christ, laying down your life for them? Guys, you cannot, you cannot do this on your own. It's not just some rule to follow. Rather, it's something that will naturally flow out of your heart if you're allowing the gloriousness of Christ to come out of you towards your wife. Paul now moves on from marriage to give instructions to the family in his second couplet, children and parents. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The child's duty in a home is to obey the parents, which is grounded in the fifth commandment given to Moses in Exodus 20, 12. You are to honor your father and your mother. The word obey means to listen to, to respond to a knock at the door. I like that. Your parent knocks, you answer the door, and you listen to them. And you follow what they have to say. It is also in the present tense. It's supposed to be continuous. And why are we supposed to do this? Kids, young people, why, why are we supposed to obey our parents? because it pleases the Lord? He says Now, I must admit that when I was a child i didn 't particularly enjoy being told what to do. Jean would say, as an adult i don 't particularly enjoy being told what to do. I was a very active child from what i 'm told. I probably had ADHD when I was a child. The principal would call my mom and say uh, Bobby's probably on his way home again from recess, just bring him back to school, because I would just take off. My mom used to put a harness on me and hook me up to the clothesline in the backyard, and I would just run back and forth. That would be child abuse today, but my mom needed a break. (laughs) I loved it. I had free reign in the backyard. I probably tend to do that some today anyway, running all the time. Uh, I I didn't like being told no. I thought I knew better than my parents at times, especially as a teenager. I thought I knew better. The young married man, I, I didn't want advice from my dad and mom on how to do my marriage. And I thought, you know, when I have children, I'm going to do it differently. And then I became a father. And I found out how hard it is to be a parent. How parenting is the hardest job on the face of the earth because you never quit caring about your kids. You don't ever quit worrying about them, even when they're adults. Someone once said, a mom is only as happy as her saddest child. It's very true, being a parent. It's It's a hard, hard job. But then I realized that my parents had set boundaries on my life, not to take the fun out of my life, not to, you know, just put barriers on me. To, to, I can't do this, I can't do this. They did it for my protection. And you'll understand that, those of you who are younger. If you have children someday, you don't do it to harm your children. You do it to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But Paul says here, then he goes on, though, to, to the fathers. He says, but fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children lest they become discouraged. Don't embitter them. And don't get them to the point of being dis- in heart, disheartened or broken in spirit. Too often parents can be so exacting, so into perfectionism, uh, so demanding that they, they exhibit conditional love to children. She and I have had to think about that because we teach on this in the retreats we lead. We talk about dealing with the, the, the hurts we had as children from our parents. and I have many young people in my counseling office whose tears are shedding, still carrying the harm that parents have done on kids from conditional love. I realize I've done that as a father. I never told my kids, you have to be the best. But I said to them, just always do your best. Always do your best. That's conditional love. I only accept it when you do your best. Is there ever a chance to let our kids fail? Is there ever a chance to allow them to not do their best and still love them? That's, how do we show our kids the grace and forgiveness of Christ? We need to, we need to do that. My mom... When she passed, had a beautiful diamond ring with three diamonds in it. And my sister took my dad's ring and I took my mom's ring and I took those three diamonds and I made two necklaces out of it for my girls and I gave the other diamond to my son. But I used it as an experience when they were adults. I, I was kind of convicted by the Lord that as a father, I had times exasperated them. I had embittered them. I had been more into rules than condi- unconditional love. So I went to each of them and met privately and gave them these and said, this is, this is from your Nana. This is to remind you of what it means to be a Blonick and her love for you. But it also is an opportunity for me to say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? There are a lot of tears shared that, shed those days. Will you forgive me? And I said at the end, is there anything else that we need to make right between the two of us? I felt it was important for me to do that as a father, to not provoke my children and not embitter them. Parents, you can't do this on your own. Children, you can't do this on your own. It's not just some rule to follow. Rather, it is something that will naturally flow out of your heart if you're allowing the gloriousness of Christ to reign in your life. Paul now moves on to his third couplet as he gives instructions to bondservants and masters in verses 22 to 4-1. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I appreciate the ESV's translation here, the Greek word doulos, as bondservant rather than slave. Some of your versions may say slave. Because of the sinful and horrific history we have in this country of slavery, we view slavery differently than what I believe biblical slavery was, that they called biblical slavery. Really, in Bible times, a servant was an indentured servant in that they were part of the family. They were paid. It was a job. They came into the home. They were part of the family and the community. And, and they were a servant rather than a slave to their master. And I like to keep that mentality in my mind as I hear Paul's talking about this here. And because I'm not so much in in a slave master relationship, but I, I have been an indentured servant of many employers in my life, I like to use these words in the sense of when I was an employer or an employee. And, and when I ran my own construction company, how did I treat the employees? Or when I, I worked here, how did I, how did I answer to the elder board and to Tom in my role as a servant? I feel that this, this word obey again comes back and it's a hard word. We're to obey our masters, to attend to. We're to fulfill our responsibilities, whatever we've been given. It's a tough word to follow sometimes we're called to do it. But notice, we're not to do it, those of us who are in a servant-master relationship, maybe in an employment situation, we're not just to do it because it's the job. Well, I have to do that. No, he says we are to do it out of sincerity of heart, not just to please people, but it comes from our heart. So once again, it's the gloriousness of Christ that will motivate us from the inside out. And he, and he goes even deeper in verses 22 to 25 when he says we're to do it for the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I believe in my working career, I've had seven or eight different careers, seven or eight different masters over me, but they're not, they've never been my boss. My boss is Jesus Christ. My boss always has been Jesus Christ. Now, I, I submit to the leaders over me, but, in, but the way I submit to them is really how I'm submitting to Christ. Because he is my ultimate master. Christ served their masters because of Christ has done for them. and Because they will receive the inheritance of eternal life as their reward. While in contrast, the non-believer here will not receive that inheritance. But will eventually have to answer for the wrong he has done. Servants. Any of us in the room who are in a servant relationship. We can't do this on our own. It's not just some rule to follow. It is something that will naturally flow out of our hearts when we let the glorious Christ reside within our hearts. Paul now completes the third couplet by giving instructions to the masters slash employers. Masters, treat your bondservant justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 1 justly it means to do what is right in god's eye fairly the state of being equal uh, the state of being equal not showing favoritism to people he says you also have a master in heaven treat others the way that you would want god to treat you if you are in any kind of leadership role over any other human being you should treat them as christ would want you to treat them and as he would But masters, you can't do this on your own. It's not just some rule to follow. Rather, it is something that will naturally flow out of your heart if you are being led by the gloriousness of Christ in your life. It's obvious that Paul understood that the health of a community in a nation rested upon the health of individual marriages, families, and the homes within that country. The Colossians lived in a morally bankrupt time. In society where these principles were not being followed, it was a hard society in which to raise a family. It was a hard society in which to be a believer in Christ. But Paul knew that it was only Christ and his followers that could change that society through the way they were countercultural and the way they raised their homes. I believe he would say the same thing today to us here in America. Our society is moving farther and farther away from. God's principles on marriage and families. That's why he calls you and I to be different. He calls us to build our marriage and our families on the principles of husbands loving their wives, of wives respecting their husbands, of children obeying their parents, of parents not provoking their children to discouragement, from servants serving masters and masters treating servants justly, and fairly. But let's face it, we can't do that on our own. We can only do it through Christ leading in our hearts and actions. It's what I said at the beginning of the message. I've tried to state it all the way through this message. It serves as the big idea of our passage today. A home, a home will only be as glorious as the Christ who inhabits it. You want to have a glorious home? And the people in that home have to have a glorious Christ residing in them and allowing him to lead them in their marriages, in their parent-child relationships, in their employment relationships. These words of Paul have proven true in my life. In my marriage, my family, and my many different employment roles, Jean and I have known each other for 55 years. We've been married for 46 years. We've worked very hard over those years to follow the principles of submission and headship, love and respect, and building our marriage in our home. And thankfully, the successes, the results, any blessings we've have experienced have not depended on our abilities to do that, but rather on our ability to submit to Christ and allow him to do that in our home. Now, in a sense of full disclosure, I feel I need to share something with you this morning that... I don't think you know about me because I've kept it a secret for a long, long time. In fact, I've never shared it with the search committee, but I'll share it with you now. I am Jean's second husband. Now, before the rumor mill gets going, let me explain. Jean's only been married once, and that's to me, but she's been married to two husbands. See, when we were married 46 years ago, I would have told you I was a Christian because I grew up in the church. I sang in the choir. I was a good boy. I felt that my relation I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, but I didn't know him. I was a religious man following a religious set of practices in my life to make myself good enough to earn my salvation from God. So on the day we said, I do, I thought I was a Christian. She thought I was a Christian. Everyone in that church thought I was a Christian. Because Bob Blahnik was a good guy. And I've strived to be a good guy, a good father, a good husband, a good employer, a good employee. But uh, those first five years, I didn't do a very good job. But then I met the risen Christ. Just like Paul met the risen Christ. It wasn't the road to Damascus. It was the road to Bowman Woods. When I pulled my car alongside the road, off the road in a rainstorm. And and tears broke down and gave my life to Christ. And it was then I became the husband that my wife needed me to be. Have I made mistakes? Oh, countless mistakes. But it's when I've turned to Christ and allowed him to work in my life. Have I, made a mistake? Have I made mistakes as a father? Yes. Out of my own sinful ego and selfishness? Yes. But it's when I let Christ work through my heart as a father that I can show unconditional love to my kids. Did I make bad decisions as an employer and as an employee? Yes. But it's only when I've allowed Christ to work through my heart that I've been the kind of employee or employer God wanted me to be. God has done a much better job the last 41 years in my marriage than I did in the first five by myself. Earlier in the week, I got an email from Jeff saying they're going to move communion. Well, it was two weeks ago. Move communion to this Sunday from last Sunday. And my first selfish, sinful thought was, rats, that's going to take time out of my sermon. See, that's how preachers think. See. And I thought, Bob, it's communion. You're I communion? Communion? And I thought, whoa, that's perfect. They, didn't, they had reasons for doing that, but God had another reason. He wanted communion today. Why? Because of this passage. You want to talk about submission, ladies? Look what Christ did for you. What a model of submission. Husbands, you want to learn how to love? Look at Christ, what we're celebrating today. Christ giving of his life for you and I. Obedience, children, to the parents, how he obeyed his father in everything, how he didn't provoke his spiritual children to be discouraged. Servanthood, ultimate servant. That night when they went up to the upper room and the doulos was supposed to be there to wash their feet, and there wasn't a doulos there, and every one of those men could have been to doulos to wash each other's feet, ran to the table for the best seats. Jesus had to teach them about servanthood. So he stood up, took off his robe, girded himself, and he washed their dirty feet that night. And the next day, he washed their dirty souls with his blood. That's what Jesus does. That's the example for us to follow. Master. (laughs) He's my master. He's my Lord and Savior. He's my Lord, and he never treats me unjustly or unfairly. So as as you prepare your heart to come to this table today, Let me ask you a question. How about you? Those of you who are married, are you building a glorious marriage and home based on Christ? Children, are you obeying your parents? Even when you disagree with them, do you trust them? Parents, are you leading your children in a way that's not provoking them to discouragement? Servants, are you serving your master as you would serve Christ? Masters, are you treating your servants with justice and fairness? So as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, let me repeat. Your home will only be as glorious as the Christ who inhabits it. I'm going to close and give you a chance to prepare for communion. Would you all just close your eyes and bow your head for a minute? I want to talk to each of you individually for just a minute. Wives, how are you doing? Are you respecting your husbands? In what ways could Christ work through you to be a better helpmate? Husbands, how are you doing loving your wife? Are you an open, safe hand for that butterfly to land, or are you a fist? Children, are you kicking against your parents' instructions, or are you obeying them? Are you honoring your parents the way you're treating them? Those of you that are parents here, are you provoking and exasperating your children? Perhaps you need to ask for forgiveness. Servants, are you serving your masters out of sincerity of heart? Masters, are you treating your servants justly and fairly? Are you building a glorious home in marriage as a single person? Who is not in a marriage right now, are you allowing the glorious Christ to work through your life to build the relationships in your life? Good things to think about as we come to the table. Father, thank you for your son Jesus Christ who gave his life. Thank you that we can celebrate through the table, his table, the Lord's table. The glorious Christ, and may we give him permission to work in our lives to build glorious homes. We pray this in his name, in the name of the resurrected one and all God's people said, Amen.